From Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a VinePair Podcast Next Round Conversation. We're bringing you these episodes in between our regular podcasts so that we can explore a range of issues and stories in the drinks world. And today I've got the pleasure of speaking with Ron Cooper, uh, the founder of Del McGay. Ron, thanks so much for your time. Hey, Zach. It's great to be on air with you. And thanks to VinePair. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't start anywhere but with this question, which is like, what were some of your first experiences with Mezcal? <laughs> okay. If you remember them, I guess. <laughs> oh, I do. You know, uh, I grew up, I was fortunate to grow up in Southern California uh, in the late 50s and, and early 60s. Uh, I was there through uh, 82. However, mm-hmm. uh, during that time, you know, uh, the, the life in, in Southern California, our nearest neighbor was Mexico. As an art student uh, about to graduate, a group of us went down to Baja, California, to Ensenada. Uh, We went to Husong's Cantina, uh, and we camped on the beach for five days. And uh, I had the opportunity to sip uh, a not very good mezcal, but it was smoky and interesting. So uh, Mm -hmm. each day... Each day for five days, I went back, and that was my preferred sipping. And that was even before I ever tasted tequila. So, um, you know, after that, um, I kept going back to Baja, camping out in these beautiful bays. And uh, we would always bring back a bottle of some uh, not-so-good mezcal to Southern California and share it with friends. So those were... Those were my earliest experiences. And when you were, when you were, say, bringing it back to to Southern California or whatever, were, were the people around you even at all aware of what mezcal was, or or was it basically like, you know, here, just drink this? Well, I'm not going to mention any brand names, but sure. everyone's reaction was slapping their forehead and going, "Oh my God, I had that when I was in college, and I can never, mm-hmm. I can't." tell you how bad I was hungover. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was the uh, reaction, uh, except for a few kind of cool people, uh, you know, that uh, were into uh, drinking good wine and, and began to like explore different, uh, different spirits. So it was a unique spirit mm-hmm. and everyone wanted to try it. Yeah. And so, okay, you have this kind of experience earlier on in your life. You you're probably, you know, remain interested or at least a, you know, sort of consumer of mezcal. But at what point does it go from being, here's a thing that I enjoy drinking to, you know, here's a a business I want to, I want to kind of take on? Like what, were there, was there anything in particular that prompted that or, or, or kind of how did that come about? Absolutely. In 1986, some art patron friends took myself and my wife on a on a trip down to down to Mexico City, Puebla and Oaxaca. And I mm-hmm. kind of led the trip because I had driven down in the early 70s from LA to Panama and found, you know, Mexico to be really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. we went to drink pulque in Mexico City and in um, Puebla. But when we got okay. to Oaxaca, we were stopped by uh, the federales at a checkpoint. What are you doing here? Where are you going? We're protecting you. Are you, is this taxi safe or are you kidnapped? No, 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 no. We're here to 
drink a little mezcal and celebrate New Year's. Mezcal? My uncle makes mezcal up in the mountains. (laughs) Young soldier. I went, really? Can I get some? (laughs) (laughs) He said, yeah, he's coming down tomorrow with some leaders. If you come back, I'll have some for you. Well, it was mind-blowing. It was so different from the earlier stuff that I had ever tasted. It was just incredible. So um, I bought a couple liters. I brought it home. I started tasting friends. Everyone went crazy for it. Uh, Mm. The chef, Mark Miller, who started uh, Coyote Cafe and started Southwest Cuisine, said, man, when you can... When you can bring some more of this in, I want it on my back bar. Uh, Steve Wallace, who was a great wine and spirits purveyor in in L.A., did the same thing. He said, man, this is really something. You ought to bring this in. So in 1990, after I had a couple great uh, successes with large uh, bronze commissions, I had a lot of money that I could afford to go anywhere I wanted to go. And uh, the first thing in my head was, oh, man, Japan. Well, then this little voice said, no, 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 no. You're going to Oaxaca. You're going to make art with the local artisans. And when I was there, I went out every three days for uh, three months, out dirt roads, and I asked Indians, where's the best? Donde esta el mejor? (laughs) and they'd point their fingers and I couldn't understand Zapotec, but I just drive patiently down a dirt road with no signs until I saw a big grinding wheel out in the field. And I'd ask the farmer, how do you do this? And invariably come back with a, uh, a Coke bottle or empty Coke bottle, empty uh, brandy bottle, empty rum bottle, and uh, they'd fill it with their mezcal. And I brought it back, and my friends in Oaxaca, the the weavers I was working with, would go, where did you get that? You know, it was jaw-dropping. So um, when I crossed the border to come back to the U.S., uh, I had a five-gallon wedding mezcal and a big uh, bamboo basket on the side of my truck. And the Texas official says, you can't bring that in here. And... Uh, I went, what? I'll pay any duty you want. And they said, no, no, no. A U.S. citizen is allowed one liter mm. to cross the border. So I had to pour out the majority of this five-gallon super wedding mess oh, no. from Chichicapa and tearfully. And uh, I decided right then and there. No one would ever tell me I couldn't bring mezcal into the United <laughs> States. <laughs> so... In order to make it available for me and my friends, I had to get a license to export from Mexico and a license to import into the U.S. And I did it. I was just going to ask. So, so sort of, you know, the this this sort of early part of the story, I, I've I've a little bit read about, and and this idea, you know, I think there's a certain uh, romanticism of this idea of kind of just exploring and and you know, sort of yeah, being like, where where's the best mezcal? Point me to it. When it came time to kind of bring that into the U.S. and and start, you know, frankly, trying to explain it to consumers and to and even to, you know, maybe as you said before, you know, there were some some well-placed people who understood the appeal. Like, how did you even 
how did you even explain the product? How did you kind of set it apart from, as you described, you know, people's college hangover experiences? Like, what was that in early messaging like? I'll tell you in a second, but I think it's oh, sure. time. I think it's time for us to have a little sip together. What do you think? Oh, I, I, I'll be honest, Ron, I had already started, but I'm with you. Oh, okay. Um, I'm pouring a little bit of uh, Las Milpas, a mezcal uh, from uh, the San Dionisio region uh, in a place which is just a rancho out in the country, um, and it's called the Cornfields. So here's to you okay. and all uh, everyone listening. Cheers. All right. So how did I how did I explain it? Well, the first thing that happened. When I got back in 1990, Steve Wallace brought a writer who had just returned from Poland, writing and studying the vodkas of Poland. And Steve Wallace came out from L.A. with his girlfriend and this writer. And we spent two days sipping through 28 different single village mezcals that I had brought back and collected during this time. Fortunately for me, the five-gallon wedding mezcal was a sacrifice, and it saved me from the customs officials going through the back of my pickup with three months of art, uh, pottery, uh, sculpture, weavings, uh, furniture, you know, just a load of stuff that I had accumulated. And these other 28 uh, samples were all down buried uh underneath safely underneath a bunch of stuff so uh we spent two days tasting and of course uh these guys spread the word to their friends that they had just had this incredible experience of never before tasted single village mezcals when i uh actually started to travel uh, to different uh, states uh, and uh, hook up with different distributors, they would take me into, uh, you know, they'd take me to a bar or a restaurant. And uh, I always found that chefs had the palate that immediately mm. uh, realized what this was, how unique this was. And uh, then uh, bartenders. So, I kind of started with chefs and then migrated to bartenders and uh oh there are some funny stories but uh I don't want to take up all your time. Um <laughs> well one is one story would be quite welcome if you if you have just one. All right. St. Louis, Missouri. A young salesperson takes me to a restaurant and bar. The owner um comes up to the front of the bar, I have a bag with oh three or four different mezcals and wonderful woven uh, palm fiber baskets and little clay sipping cups. And he takes one look at this stuff and he says, I'm not going to taste that. And he goes, hmm. hey, hey, Juan. And he shouts back to the kitchen and Juan, the dishwasher, comes out. And he goes, Juan, taste this. Juan yeah. sips it. And he goes, oh, mezcal. I don't like mezcal. I like tequila. So that, you know, kabash that. 
and then people started hearing about it. I mean, sommeliers, uh, like yourself, started spreading the word. Uh, Jimmy Yeager in Aspen invited me in 1998 to my first Aspen Food and Wine Classic, which was international. And we had a table. And I was pouring mezcal, and people were sipping it and going, oh, my God, this is incredible. So um, I've done uh, 20 years of uh, Aspen Food and Wine Classic. And also, uh, Jimmy Yeager immediately, you know, made mezcal front and center on his bar. And uh, my buddy Steve Olson, just under the table, just everywhere he went carried a, uh, a flask of Tobala with him. And he did wine mm-hmm. education, spirits education. But the word got out, and everyone knew that he would go outside, take a break, have a sip from this magic flask, and everyone started <laughs> following him. <laughs> so, so Steve Olson, a.k.a. Wine Geek, a.k.a. now Magay Geek, uh, was uh-huh. huge in terms of turning people on. That was it. Gotcha. So, I mean, I definitely understand how the 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 sort of word of mouth and the the I guess sort of almost testimonials from from professionals sort of helped pave the way. Now, when you when you talk about mezcal to people after you know a number of years of it being you know more and more uh, understood, more and more widely available, you know, there being a lot more you know sort of brands and producers available in the states. You know, when you talk about mezcal to people in the trade or to or to consumers, even you know, do you now is it a different uh, is it a different conversation than it was twenty years ago? Oh, there are so many people that are knowledgeable about mezcal now; it's incredible. You know, I mean, there's still you know, I think the worm is dead. Okay, I think I killed yeah. the worm. And then mezcal used to be misspelled as M E S C A L because of the Webster Dictionary. And I've, I think I've cured that too, and spelled properly with a Z. So, you know, there's so much um, education, so much experience, so many other uh, people actually, uh, you know, bringing good mezcals to the U.S. So, or to the world, to Europe, to Asia, to Australia. You know, it's like amazing. So. Um, I really don't have to convince anybody that mezcal is worth sipping anymore. Yeah. And, and so, you know, a thing that you mentioned before is that, you know, Delmagy has always been, I think, large, you know, in large part focused on some of these single village expressions. Like how, how do, like, was that just always the, the idea or, or did that, you know, like how, as opposed to perhaps, um, you know, individual species of agave or both. I mean, I don't know. I guess I think about the ways you can classify mezcal as, you know, kind of go a couple of different directions. Is it just been that that the villages were the places you were visiting and that made the most sense to kind of how to organize the the portfolio, I guess? Well, there's, uh, there's a famous uh, Mexican dicho or saying, you don't find mezcal, mezcal finds you. But what I'm most proud of is, uh, enabling uh, these uh, small single village producers, palenqueros, uh, enabling them and their families. You know, they are so proud of their uh, tradition of their fathers and their 
grandfathers and their great-grandfathers, their ancestors. Uh, and when I started, uh, Mescal really didn't leave the villages. It was just made for rituals, for births, funerals, um, weddings, you know, um, feast days. So it was, uh, they don't drink, uh, they don't drink cocktails. They, they drink during fiestas. They sip during fiestas. And if you happen to drink a lot, uh, and get pretty loaded, they consider it getting closer to the gods. But really, um, I started out, well, for the first 17 years, I personally paid for the honor of being in this deep traditional culture. And uh, then it started paying me back. But uh, basically, um, just being able to be with these people and, and you know, participate in their fiestas and their cultures and watch them uh, when I just had a little money, just utilize that money. I never told anyone what to do with it. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. And I've watched these families uh, benefit just in a gigantic way, bringing sons back from the U.S. from picking grapes or, or roofing to actually become great uh, mezcal producers, palenqueros themselves. We've enabled mm -hmm. that. Uh, one village, uh, the most remote village of Santo Domingo Alvarados, Esperidion sent two daughters down to Oaxaca, to the capital. One daughter to shop and keep house for the other daughter who went to college and became the first college graduate, a woman attorney ever in this wow. village. You know, first high school graduate in this village. So just enabling these people and watching them develop has been miraculous for me. It's been just a, a beautiful, beautiful experience. Very cool. And I'm curious, you know, you one last question for you, Ron, if you don't mind. I'm I'm wondering, sure. you know, as you as you kind of look back and then look forward, like, do you see where I guess I don't know, it's a hard almost a hard question to ask, but like you know, do you see there being um, continued kind of interest and growth in, in Mezcal? And, and is it going to continue, you know, do you see it as being more and more about, as I kind of see it, I guess, these um, very special, very kind of distinctive and, and unique expressions of a place and of the, and of the agave plants themselves? Um, you know, what I guess, what do you see looking forward? Okay. The majority of the positive is small people getting involved and sharing, bringing out wonderful varietals, you know, wonderful expressions that are, there are so many different varietals. Uh, the hand of the maker is huge, uh, altitude, uh, terroir, you know, the vocabulary of mezcal is closest to good wine. So, um, you know, I think. Uh, that is uh, the future. It's never going to slow down. Um, there are regions uh, where the denomination of origin is not allowed just because of politics. There are so many okay. small producers. I think that will eventually, uh, you know, find its way to to be justified so that everyone has ability to export uh, and share. Uh, 
And then there's the other end, which is uh, giant corporations uh, and famous, uh, famous people jumping in, just getting a brand and not knowing really what this is all about. Um, we made a partnership four years ago with Pernod Ricard uh, mm-hmm. because they were, they were powerful enough to help us pre- preserve the tradition and culture of mezcal. So that's where we're at. You know, we're just continuing. I'm going back down in June with uh, our team. And uh, there are a couple places that I I forgot to go up the river, go up the, the dirt road. Uh, and I had tasted this unbelievable mezcal in a little store on a Sunday morning down in a gully on the way to Miawatlan and I got to go up that road. You know, it's been 26 <laughs> years, but I have to go up that road and see who that is that was making that, that flavor that, you know, taste memory is amazing. I know, ne- you know, you never yeah. forget a good taste. So, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's really inspiring. I'm glad that there are, you still feel like there are things to explore and discover. Uh, it's, uh, it it kind of continues to to feed the the whole, I guess yeah the kind of the romance and the notion of 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 mezcal as this um, category that that those of us who maybe don't get to travel to Oaxaca all that often or ever can still kind of explore through through these bottles. Yeah, excellent. Well, Ron, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, pleasure hearing from you about this uh, this uh, story and and uh, look forward to seeing uh, what you do find up those rivers and roads uh, as you continue <laughs> to travel. I'll tell you what, if I find anything new on this trip in June, Zach, you'll get a co- empty Coke bottle full of it. <laughs> oh, perfect. I like. All right. I love that idea. That's fantastic. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.